Good evening, brothers and sisters. If we could turn in our Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, and for now we're going to read verse 15. And God's Word says, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the God of your fathers, fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But, but as for me, in my house, we will serve the Lord. And one more verse, you'd have to turn there. First John chapter 5, the last verse, it says, My little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's look for the Lord for guidance. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for this evening, for this allotted time that you have given us to gather around thy word. Father, we pray that you would be glorified tonight, Lord, that you would make yourself known to us through these scriptures. We pray that you would just inspire us, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, Father. Help us to understand thy word. We ask for your blessing upon it, Lord, in your Son's most precious name. Amen. This evening we're looking at Joshua's farewell speeches, in a sense you could call them that, um, of the Old Testament, when Joshua would see that his time was coming to an end. And you could think of some of the great speeches given in, in history, for example in American history, you could think of when um, Lincoln would give his State of the Union address, or when John F. Kennedy would go on to say his famous quote, as not what your country could do for you, but what you could do for your country. All, all these speeches are, are great, great for history, American history, and but they don't even compare to what we're going to consider tonight. The, the, it's, it so far eclipses any speech that any great person in our American history has given this ancient story of this servant of God called Joshua. So we're going to start reading in chapter 23, verse 1. And it came to pass, a long time after the Lord had given rest unto, the, unto Israel from their enemies round them, that Joshua waxed old and was stricken in age. And Joshua called all of Israel, and for their elders, and for their heads, and for their judges, and for all the officers, and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age. And ye have uh, seen all that the Lord... Your God hath done unto these nations because of you, for the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Judah with all the nations that I have cut off even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel from them, expel them from before you and drive them out of your sight. And ye shall possess their land, and the Lord your God hath promised unto you. Be therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye, might, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the, left, to the right or to the left, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the name of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day. For the Lord hath driven out 
from before you great nations and strong. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you, as he hath promised you. Take good heed therefore unto yourselves, that ye love the Lord your God. Else if ye do any wise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these remaining among you, that ye shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they unto you. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you, and scourges in your sides, and thorns in your eyes, and ye shall perish of this good land which the Lord which the Lord your God hath given you. And behold, this day I am going away of the earth, and ye shall know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All come to pass unto you, and, and not one thing hath failed there, thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that if all good things are come upon you, which the Lord hath promised you, so shall the Lord bring up all evil things unto you uh, until he hath destroyed you from uh, this good land which, he hath, which the Lord your God hath given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, bowed yourselves unto them, and then the anger of the Lord shall be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly off the good land which he has given unto you. May the Lord bless his word. As we discussed, this is, in the sense, this is the stage. Joshua is seen, his time is up. Maybe the Lord revealed it to him. Joshua, you're about to pass away. And, and Joshua calls it the leaders, it says the elders, the officers, and the judges. These are, are the, the heads of the twelve tribes to come. So he's not addressing the entire multitude of Israel. He's addressing just the leaders. And, and he would exhort them in verse 1 and 2. Just a quick note aside, just a, a very brief outline, because sometimes it helps just to break down the chapter. Verses 1 and 2, Joshua is exhorting the people. He's letting them know that he's going to pass away. The elders, uh, verses 3 through 4, it, he uh, reemphasizes the benefits, what God has done for us for the, as, a, as a nation. Verses 5 through 11, he tells them what he's going to do, what his promises are if he, they stay true to, to their God. And then verses 12 to the end, it's a warning to take heed of what not to do. In a sense, it's, it's a caution. This other thing could happen if you turn aside. So here, he's addressing the, the leaders of Israel, including the judges, which is it's a nice um, flow into the, the next book, where no longer is there going to be a great leader, Moses or Joshua, that's leading the people, one man, but each, uh, each area, almost in the sense of, of the, the, the land, is going to have their own judges, and the judges are, in a sense, going to be held accountable for leading the people and uh, carrying out judgment. So, in, in, ver, in verse, cha, uh, chapter 23, verse 3, I'm sorry about that. 
it speaks of the nation of Israel, what the Lord had done to the nations. Our brother Malcolm was speaking last week and talking about the, the many ites that were in the land and how the Lord used the people of Israel in a sense as a coming judgment for those many nations that did wicked, wicked things. And the Lord used them as a tool to pronounce His judgment on those lands and on those people. And the Lord is, is letting them know that, that He used them in, in verse 3. Now, you could say that's, that, that's harsh for these people. Well, in a sense, their, their cup of wrath came to be filled. And that's when the Lord would have His people go. It wasn't the innocent people that He was attacking. But praise the Lord, there was, there was certain accounts of Gentiles that came to know the true and living Savior. Thinking in particular of that Rahab, the, the, the dear woman, who wasn't a dear woman at one point. She was actually a harlot, and she was actually a very bad person. But she came to know the true living God through some of the testimony that came out of Egypt. She would go on to say, uh, when the spies were, were into, you know, they were in her dwelling, she said, I know I have heard what the Lord your God hath done in Egypt, how he opened the river, how they came upon Pharaoh's army. I have heard what he did to all the armies that oppose you, nations that were greater than the people of Israel. He, she saw the testimony of God, and she saw that coming judgment. And she turned, in a sense, she turned from idols to serve the living God. The dear woman was a harlot. And in a sense, you could say that, that her sin had to do with, with a perverse uh, form of love. How she, she would have an immoral type of love that wouldn't satisfy her. And she would turn to the one true person that could give her that love. So she turned from idols to God. And that is true conversion. It's true nowadays. That's how a person gets converted. They turn from idols to God. Isn't that what it says about the Thessalonians? Anyways, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. So, in, in chapter 23, in verses 4 through, through 10, it, it speaks of what the Lord has done and what, what He's going to do, what He's promising them, how they came into this land and how He's going to fight for them, how one man shall go up against a thousand. I always think of, of that one of my favorite passages in, in the book of Samuel is when Jonathan and his arm bearer go up. Is the Lord with us? And here's a host of the Philistines. It's just two people. And, and they overcome the enemy because of this one godly man that God was with them. And in a sense, it's not Jonathan's power, not his might, not his, his skill by sword that he was able to drive back the enemy. But it was that the Lord was with them. And the Lord gave him victory. Now, Christian, you're probably asking, how is this speech, how is this exhortation that this man of God in ancient times gave to his people, this ancient people, how does that apply to us? What does that have to do with us? Can did the, the, the thief next to Jesus Christ, when he died, when he said, Lord, remember me, when, when you, 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 know, you go to paradise, and, and the Lord would turn and to say, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Did, did that criminal, that, that sinner, that, you know, that bad man, in a sense, did, did he know all these uh, terms and speeches and promises of God to be saved? Well, the answer is no. But it's in the Bible for a reason. And then a lot of these verses have a lot of spiritual significance in our, in our lives. 
the people of Israel, as we saw in, 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 chapter, in verse 1, they came into the land. And there was peace, in a sense, in the, the part of the land where they were at for a long time. And Joshua would go on to tell them that they have to keep going, that they have to persevere. There, there's this land that he's telling them that the Lord is with you, but you have to fight. You have to fight. You can't, uh, you can't conform to the things of this world. You can't conform to those people. We're going to see in, in the near future. And you could say, okay, so as a Christian, uh, the Lord took you out of bondage from Egypt. The Lord took us out of our bondage from our sin. And we were no longer, longer subjected to our sins. We're no longer slaves to sin. Uh, but now He has redeemed us to do what we want, to walk free. No. No, the, the plan of salvation is so much different than that. He takes you, and now you are, in a sense, you're a slave to righteousness. You're a slave, you know, you're a bondservant to the one true God. And they're in the land. And you could almost say, I'm trying, not trying to be fanciful, but they're in the promised land. This isn't representative of heaven. They're not in heaven because they're still sin. They still, still have to fight. So in a Christian, when you become a believer, you, you turn away from idols to the one true God and you have to possess the land. In a sense, it's your spiritual life. You have to fight for it. Paul would go on to say, those things that I would not, those things I do. Those things that I, would, will, that I want to do, those things I do not. O wretched man, who shall deliver me from this body? Of sin. Is Paul pleading for salvation there? Is he calling out to the Lord, Lord, save me, save my soul? Is that what he's saying? No, he's saying that there's a daily battle that struggles, that there's this old man in you. There's these nations that, that, that were in the land and they had to possess, they had to fight these nations. Christian, you have to fight the old man. You can't conform, you can't go back, turn your back on the one true God that has saved you. To go back to the old man. So, we're seeing these, these coming promises that God is going to fight for you. He's going to be with you. And Moses, uh, I mean not Moses, Joshua then tells him a caution to take heed. It says in verse 8, But cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done unto this day. He's he's telling them cleave unto the lord how are you going to have victory over these people how is one man going to go against a thousand you have to cleave unto the lord christian are we cleaving unto the lord on our everyday lives when we wake up before we go to work whatever challenges whatever difficulties are going to come to pass in the day are we cleaving to the lord or are we leaning on our own strength which is so frail Whenever I see that word cleave, I, I always my story my mind always goes back to to when when Jacob was wrestling the angel of the Lord and, and it, it would say that that he would cleave. He said, "Bless me, bless me." And it was not until he relied that he actually received the blessing. And since God took his strength, he touched his 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 hip bone, and then he couldn't out of his own strength and then he would in a sense have to lean he, he would have to lean on the promises of God he, he wouldn't do it of his own self but now he had to rely on the Lord and it, the Bible would go on to say that he would walk with the cane for the rest of his life it's, it's a, a remembrance of <clears throat> of that we have to rely on the Lord so we have to cleave unto the Lord also he would Joshua did this is he would go on to tell them about the certain people 
He would tell them about the blessings that what God would give them, but then he would also tell them a warning what would happen if they wouldn't go and conquer these people, that if they would, their hearts would be turned from God, if they would, uh, instead of, you know, in the sense that the people of Israel, they, they never possessed the land. They had nothing. They were slaves in Egypt. They came out, yes, they came out with a great possession, with gold and silver and a lot of livestock. A lot of it was lost in the wilderness. They relied on the Lord to get them to the promised land. A whole generation would pass away. And when they would get to the promised land, they, in a sense, they, they wouldn't know how to handle it. There's these great possessions that we have. And there was a lot of fighting that they would see. Yes, the Lord would, would uh, lead them. But maybe they would get to a point of weakness where they would be thinking to themselves, you know what? These people aren't that bad. You know, they, they have their gods. They have their wickedness. But look, they have their beauty. They have their culture. Their women are beautiful. And in a sense, it's a very dangerous place for them to, for a believer to be, to conform to this world. And, and you could see that their spirit might, might weaken. And Joshua, he's not really considered a prophet, but these two chapters, he prophesies, because he, he foretells exactly, he warns the people, and in a sense, it's very sad to see, as many of the prophets, the stories of the prophets, is so sad that they would prophesy and warn the people of God what would happen, and it's still they wouldn't take heed to the, to the word of the Lord, and that judgment will come. So Joshua, in a sense, he's acting like a prophet. He's telling them what will happen if you do this. Christian, don't let us conform to this world. Let, let us not uh, compromise the gospel. Because the, the, the gospel in itself has the power to save. You see very sad nowadays through many organizations, I'm not going to call them churches because some of them, you, you couldn't call them that. They're, they're more into the accepting people. They're, they see more success as far as number of seats, number of seats that are filled in the pews, how much revenue the organization makes. And you, I mean, you could see some of these, these uh, so-called pastors giving messages that you, your, your spirit kind of just gets appalled by the stuff that would come out of their mouths. And, and they're saying stuff too, in a sense to not offend people, to bring more people. When me and my wife were dating at the time, we were at a so-called Christian concert. And there was a, a, a group called World Vision there. And, and my, my wife, you know, saw their thing that they were advertising. And it was one of these things where you would uh, pay a, a monthly donation to support a, a child. Um, I, forget, I think it was a child in Honduras. And she paid for a year, I don't know, $10 a month to help feed this kid. And I'm not saying that those deeds are wrong or anything like that. But then recently, Within the last couple of months, I see that the CEO of this organization called World Vision will go on to say, you know, homosexuality, that's, that's wrong in the Bible to say that about homosexuality. How could we, we be so impartial to people that are normal, just like you and me, that they were born this way? How, can, how could we discriminate against them? And this is a so-called Christian organization. And they're not the only ones. We're, in a sense, one of, one of the minority brothers. We're one of the minorities that, that want to obtain to the New Testament truth, New Testament doctrine when it comes to pleasing God. And, and a lot of these churches will say, oh, we, we have to get them in there. We have to show them the love of God. You'll see these big billboards advertising, come to such and such church, no perfect people 
are welcome. And then they'll have like a catchy tune like that. And, and the message that they're giving, they're trying to preach a gospel of acceptance. Let us never diminish the gospel for what it is. For in it is the power to save. We don't have to add anything to it. If we do, it becomes deadly. That's how other religions came to be. They'll, they'll grab a part of the actual true word of God and add stuff to it. And it will, it, it's the, the judgment that's going to happen, that's going to be upon people like that. It's, it's even hard to think about. And Joshua would be exhorting the people, telling them not to conform, not to intermarry, not to dwell amongst, not to even utter the names of their gods, but to just go with the Lord behind you and conquer the land. Excuse me, I just when the, the voice of a child you know sounds like that, I could pick him out out of the whole crowd, and it's it's very, you know, my first reactions to go get him. <clears throat> but now, now, how do we not fall into this trap? How do we we uh, in a sense carry out the will of God towards towards fighting the good fight? I want to point out to verse. 11, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. How can we fight the enemy? How can, how can we have victory? We have to love, love the Lord. Love the Lord your God. And First John would tell us, By this we know. There's a lot of by this we know that we know in the first epistle of John. And it's very encouraging. By this, we know we are the children of God. And one of them would be going to say, if we keep His commandments, His commandments. Christian, are you keeping the commandments of the Lord? Are you loving the Lord? Are you cleaving unto Him? I venture to say, if you're not, you're not having victory. And you're letting the old man overcome. Now, so these are, are the exhortations that the people that, that Joshua gives the people of overcoming the land, but then he would go on to say the consequences if they don't. In in verses twelve through the end. And and I'm reading in, in verse thirteen it says, Know certainly that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides, in your thorns, in your eyes, and you shall perish off this good land which the Lord your God hath given. And he would go on to tell them, look, look at what the Lord has done. Look how he took us out of Egypt. Look at how faithful, how faithful the Lord is. He would, he would go on to, Joshua would go on to give the message to the people that he was given to himself from the Lord. In, in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 7, he would say, the Lord would tell Joshua to be of good courage. I am with you. I will never leave thee or forsake thee. And he, would tell you, he would tell Joshua to not, not venture from the left or the right of, of the law that I have given Moses. Christian, Christ will never leave us nor forsake us. But let's not venture anywhere, and don't, let's not compromise on Scripture. Let's not give the enemy a, a, not one step where he could have some way into our lives and into our hearts. Let us not uh, compromise on what the Lord has told us through His Word. <clears throat> now let's get to chapter 24. 
at the same time is against us. Uh, just like to mention in verse 16, it says, When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and you have gone and served other gods and bowed yourselves unto them, then you shall anger the Lord, be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly. Covenants. A covenant, well, we're going to get into the covenant that, in a sense, they renewed a covenant with the Lord in this coming chapter. Let's go ahead and um, look at chapter 24. Now, chapter 24, again, a simple outline just to kind of understand the breakdown of the chapter. Now, here Joshua is speaking to all the people. This is before he passes away, before he's buried, before him and Eliezer actually die. And he would give the same message to the that he gave to the elders and to the leaders, but now he would give it to all the people of Israel, and he would go into detail, and he would provide evidence of what the Lord has done. But, <clears throat> it's a sad outcome of what actually happens, just knowing, knowing the history, this ancient history that's given through the next few books. Um, it would go on to say that the, Lord, that the people completely followed the Lord and they kept to that covenant while Joshua lived and the elders that outlived Joshua. So the message that he gave to the leaders, it, it, it hit home and they, they, were, they were faithful to the Lord. But now when those leaders, they fell, well, that's when the trouble started. And my brother will start us in that in, in the book of Ju Judges. In Judges, you're going to see that pattern that there's going to be a judge raised and the land will be at rest and then the judge will go away and then, again, it will go into chaos. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. So in, in, in chapter 24, the assembling of the, tri the, the, the tribe in, in verse 1, verses 2 thir to 13, Joshua is providing evidence of what the Lord has done, how he's been faithful. Verses 14 through 28, there's the covenant that's renewed in verses 29 to 33. There's the death of Joshua and the high priest Eleazar. But now let's just to get to, to chapter 24. <clears throat> and the verse that we read at the beginning. Choose this day whom you will serve. It's, it's, it's the, 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 the point that Joshua's trying to drive. Choose this day whom you will serve. And, and he foresees the trouble that's coming. And, and Joshua, in a sense, like a good Christian apologetics person, he would go on and he would give evidence of why God has been faithful. He's showing them not stories uh, that, that are just fairy tales. He's not trying to give good examples of why the Lord is good. No, he's giving exact, direct evidence. Remember that him and Joshua were of a previous generation that completely passed away where, him and Ke where Joshua and Caleb were the only people left. And, and Joshua and Caleb would, would live some of the hardest times. And, and, you know, you might even ask Joshua and Caleb, what is it that you remember the most about, about leaving Egypt and coming to, to the promised land? And you could say all the, all the miracles that God has done. And, and, and he could expound exactly what the Lord, the account, what the Lord has done. But he's and probably in his mind is thinking of all the people that were buried. Think about in the wilderness, all the people, that entire generation that would perish, 
that they were by the time that they got, it's, it's no surprise that by the time they got to the promised land, Caleb's like, I want that mountain, Joshua. I'm going to go get that mountain for the Lord. He, he was tired of just wandering aimlessly, waiting for an entire generation to, to die, that when he gets to the promised land, he's got the zeal, just striving to go forward. So Joshua would present this generation that's new, that, that hasn't seen all the miracles from Egypt, and he would provide evidence why the Lord, got, how the Lord God saved them, and how the Lord is faithful, how he has never failed them. And he would go on to say he has never failed us. And in light of that, then he would go on to, on top of God's faithfulness, then he would go on to tell them, Choose this day. You would think that by, by this time that these people have witnessed so many things, even this current generation that had to go into the promised land and fight these nations, and they would see the hand of the Lord at work, that they wouldn't have to choose this day. But the sad truth is that there was idols amongst them, that they still had idols with them. Up to this point in time, you would think that they would be done with that stuff, but they still had those sins. And Joshua would, would go on to tell them in verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and see, serve Him sincerely. Christian, are we serving the Lord? Are we keeping ourselves away from idols? And I'm not talking about statues. I'm not talking about uh, things we put on our dashboard, things that we bow down and worship to. Some of the kids would say verse 15, and it's a very precious verse. Where it says, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that were served on the other side of the flood or river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a verse that's applicable to us today. This ancient message, we will serve the Lord. We're choosing to serve the Lord. Now, I want to just take a... a a quick jump to the New Testament. We're talking about this, this word serving the Lord, serving the Lord. And you could explain a convert in these terms of serving, of service. In Romans chapter 6, Paul would go on to say, in chapter 6, 16 through 17, is where I'm going to look at, says, know, you, know ye not that whom ye yield yourselves Servants, uh, servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye are servant, that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that from a form, a form of doctrine which was delivered, delivered you, being then made free from sin you became servants of righteousness. Now before you say, brother, that's blasphemy, uh, being converted has nothing to do with works, it has nothing to do with servitude, it means uh, calling upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. Amen, brothers and sisters. Amen. But how, what does James would tell us about faith? Faith without works is dead. It's dead. If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as your personal Savior, and you're serving, you're, you're a slave to sin, you have to ask your question, were you saved in the first place? Were you saved in the first place? 
look at the, the comparison versus the contrast between verses 18 and verse 20. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. Verse, and verse 20 says, For when you were servants of sins, you were free from righteousness. Yeah, you're free from righteousness, but you're slaves to sin. Choose this day whom you will serve. Just as Rahab chose. And isn't that, isn't that the conversion that Paul gives uh, a testimony to, to, to the to Thessalonians? Where he goes, you have turned unto God from idols to serve the living God. To serve the living God. So in terms of servitude, you could, you could expound of, of one's conversion. Now, a convert is not somebody... Again, we're not, we're not trying to, to preach a, a, a false gospel. We're not trying to conform to, to grab God's gospel in, in the world and try to uh, attract them. Maybe we could play better music. Uh, you, you know, something that, that would appeal to them and then we'll give them the gospel. No, no. The gospel in itself has the power to save. We don't need to add to it. We just need to serve. We need to choose whom we serve. And then seeing as I'm out of time, just, just to summarize uh, the, the, the remainder of the chapter, there's an issue that comes up of idolatry that, that Joshua would, would go on to tell them, uh, you can't serve. You can't serve the Lord your God because He is a jealous God. He is a jealous God. And the people would go on, no, we've seen. We see the evidence. We, we, we will serve the Lord. And, and they would, in a sense, renew this covenant. And, and Joshua then would tell them, we'll put out the idols from among you. Why do you have these things? It's interesting to note that Shechem is the very same place that when, when Jacob came out with his wives, and, and Rachel, unfortunately, she, she stole some of her father's idols. This was the very same place where, where Jacob would tell his servants to get rid of these things. Why is the people of God having to do these things? Well, we can't be too hard on them, brothers and sisters. An idol is anything that we put before God. Now, I'm not saying that here's God and here's an idol. If God uh, is before the idol, I'm okay. No. It's when God looks upon our lives and sees anything other than Him. That's an idol. Anything that takes his place, anything that, that, we, that our heart, that drives our heart, that our, our, our affections are towards. It could be a car. It could be a, a hobby. It could be fishing. It could be uh, physical fitness. We have to guard our hearts from idols. Why would then John in the New Testament would say, little children, keep yourselves from idols? This is the thing that not only plagued the, the, the people of Israel, it's plaguing this world now. A lot of people re, will refuse to be a Christian. Oh, I have to give this up. I don't want to be a Christian because then I will have to give up women. I don't want to be a Christian. I would have to give up my money. I don't want to be a Christian because I would have to. There's idols, abundance of idols. And can a believer have idols? Well, John is writing to Christians, isn't he? So it is possible. And we need to keep ourselves from idols. <clears throat> now, idolatry is something that brings up, usually when you see idols, immediately you see this term come up on Scripture, jealous. God is a jealous God. And it's a righteous 
jealousness. It's not a, a jealousness of, of a, a crazy husband, but it's, it's a jealousy that's throughout all scripture. And, and the picture that, that God would point out is that his people were as a bride. And he would bring them up. I mean, just look at uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and just some of the the the, the stories that, that are given through the prophets, some of these pictures that, that, that are meant for the people to turn away from the idols. And some of them are, are, are really graphic. In Ezekiel chapter 16, I'm thinking in particular, and God would go on to say, describe the nation of Israel as somebody that was naked, and he, he would clothe them, he would bathe them, he would clean them, he would adorn them, he would make them beautiful. As presented as a, as a beautiful bride, and then they would turn away from God and go whoring with other nations and their gods. In Ezekiel chapter chapter twenty three, it describes the nation of Israel and the the nation of Judah when the the, the kingdom got divided as two harvests. And he will go into detail of the the fornication that they committed. Now you're you're saying, well, that stuff doesn't apply to us. That that's Old Testament. No, brothers and sisters, that, that applies to us now. Let's just take a look quickly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, what the Apostle Paul would write. <clears throat> Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? It's a rhetorical question, it's not meant to be answered. Christian, are you provoking the Lord? to jealousy now that's a dangerous thing to do if you are a true son of God and you're provoking the Lord you're putting idols before the Lord are you provoking the Lord to jealousy 2 Corinthians chapter 11 11 verse 2 it says for I am jealous over you with a godly this is this apostle Paul speaking I am jealous over you over with a godly jealousy for I have espoused you for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste version to Christ and here's Paul warning these people that God is a jealous God and that he would see his, his bride he would want him to be pure and he, he would want her to be presented as a virgin Jeremiah chapter 2 says in, in verse Jeremiah 2 verse 2 go and cry is this God speaking to Jeremiah go and cry into the ears of Jerusalem saying thus says the Lord I remember thee thy kindness of thy youth the love of thine espousals now that word espousals is betrothing to be engaged now, if a, a young lady is not engaged, she has her options open, right? And, and maybe she's looking at this guy. Well, he has this to offer me. Yeah, she is looking at this guy. He has a lot more money. He has a car. Look at this guy. He's very smart, you know? I mean, that's intellectually, that's smart for a woman to consider men that are approaching her to make the correct choice. Right? In different cultures, there's different steps on how that's done. But now when she commits herself to one man, she says, I will marry this man, and they are espoused, betrothed, engaged. Now, when the person with the hot rod comes, or the person with the family's fortune comes approaching her, she 
can't give any thought. She can't be open-minded. Oh, wait a minute. Look what this guy's offering now. No. Now she, her, her having an open mind goes from being something, being in, intelligent to making the right choice to being unfaithful to the one she already chose. Now, if you, being a Christian, being a son of God, has chosen him to be a savior, we can't have open mind about God. We can't have an open mind about His deity. We can't have an open mind about His sovereignty. We can't have an open mind about being faithful to Him. We can't have an open mind about having other idols in our lives and serving God. These things all go away once we have been espoused. Are we stronger than He? Do we want to provoke Him to jealousy, Christian? Seeing that we're out of time... I would just like to close. If we have time, could, could, could we please sing hymn number two in the Red Book? When covering these passages, this, my mind would always go to this hymn, that great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There's no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Brother, sister, God is faithful. He changes never. He will never leave us, nor forsake us. As he will tell Joshua that, he will tell us in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 12, he won't leave you, nor forsake you. We want to choose to serve him. No other. We want to be espoused. We want to be faithful. We want to be pure to him. We have to cleave unto him. We have to love him. Are these things of the past? Is this has to do with only the children of Israel? No, it has to do with you, brother and sister. It has to do with being a Christian. Let's go ahead and sing um, just the first and the third verse. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we thank you for your word. And that we truly see that you are a great God, ever faithful, never failing. Father, even though we have our frailties, our shortcomings, you've thought of a plan of salvation that could overcome all that. You've been working ever since the first sin of man, working. My father works until now, and I work. Working for our salvation. Even after saving us, you ever lived to make intercession for us. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you that you have done the impossible, Lord. You have saved wretched sinners, just as Rahab just was one of the most wicked people, Father. You would save her and she would become a child of God, Father. We pray that we are like the Thessalonians, that we turn from idols to serve the true and living God, Father. We pray for the saints that are here tonight, that their souls might be just overjoyed with thy word and thy person of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father. We ask the blessing upon the congregation. These things, in your son's most precious name, we pray the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.